You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A look at the ongoing ransomware epidemic with some speculation about its connection to the criminal economy. Over-the-air provisioning might open Android users to sophisticated phishing approaches. Alleged spammers are indicted in California. And Zhao, we hardly knew ye. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, September 4th, 2019. The continuing surge in ransomware attacks against U.S. local governments is drawing attention to a Russian criminal gang, State Scoop reports. CrowdStrike calls the gang Wizard Spider, best known for its operation of TrickBot. The group has a sub-gang, Grim Spider, which has been associated with Ryuk ransomware. The ransomware attacks continue, whether by the spiders or others, and school districts remain attractive targets. Schools in Orange County, located in downstate New York on the New Jersey line, have delayed the opening of school this week as they deal with a ransomware infestation, CBS Local says. It's not known who's behind the attack, but the kiddos get a couple of extra days of summer. Not to worry, though, should any attendance Puritans or truant officers be listening, they'll probably have to make up the lost time in June, along with whatever snow days they accumulate over the winter. The proliferation of ransomware seems to be shaping a complicated bandit economy. MSISoft thinks there's a good chance that extortionists' preference for payment in altcoin has driven a rise in the value of Bitcoin. It's a demand-side pressure. Bitcoin is attractive to extortionists, MSISoft speculates, because it's accessible and easy to use, because it's verifiable, and because it's more or less anonymous. ProPublica argued last week that insurance companies themselves contribute to this section of the criminal economy by pushing clients to pay ransom. They frame the argument harshly, suggesting that the insurance companies profit from ransomware, or as ProPublica puts it, quote, even when public agencies and companies hit by ransomware could recover their files on their own, insurers prefer to pay the ransom. Why? The attacks are good for business, End quote. Well, Perhaps, or at least ransomware attacks are no better for the cyber insurance business than car crashes are for the automobile insurance business. Sure, hearing about ransomware might motivate a town to buy cyber insurance just the way seeing a smash-up on the freeway might make rubbernecking drivers consider upping their collision coverage. We mean, heaven forfend, you should find yourself in an accident, right? 
ProPublica's article itself suggests as much. It's not that insurers like ransomware or welcome such attacks on their customers. Rather, the insurer is in the business of limiting losses, and this is always a cost-benefit proposition. The insurer wants to make the client whole as inexpensively as possible, and paying ransom might be the cheaper for the underwriters than covering unransomed losses and the associated costs of remediation. But nefariously motivated or not, if you pay the ransom, you inevitably encourage more extortion, and you encourage the extortionists to increase their demands. Various people have suggested, sometimes citing unnamed FBI sources, that criminals are deliberately looking for victims who have insurance, but as Bank Info Security points out, other experts remain skeptical that the criminals actually look for insured targets to hit, but bandits do respond to their own market forces. The publication quotes Bill Siegel, CEO of ransomware response shop Coveware. He says, quote, I don't think it's the way that this market works, and we very much view it as a market. These guys go after the low-hanging fruit because it's cheap and the conversion rate is high, and whether or not those victims end up having insurance is just a roll of the dice. Quote. We note that our local example of a municipal ransomware incident, Baltimore, its very self, didn't have insurance against the clobbering it took this past spring. The mayor recently said he had no idea why Charm City wasn't insured. Us too, Your Honor. But if insurance isn't the common denominator in the attacks on school systems, what is? We think Siegel's observation about low-hanging fruit applies— the apple is too easy to swipe from the desk. The CyberWire's Tamika Smith reached out for insights from industry experts on ransomware. She files this report. new report from AppRiver Global Security looks at a variety of cybersecurity concerns this year, from cities under siege to business email fraud. Joining the conversation to shed more light on the report is Troy Gill. He's a manager of security research at AppRiver, where he evaluates security controls and identifies potential risk. Hi, Troy. Thanks for joining the program. Hey, Tamika. Thanks for having me. So this year, cities across the country have been hit with ransomware attacks. You know, your report breaks down attacks in Florida, Baltimore, North Carolina. Can you talk a little bit about the damages? And what stood out to me really is the, the amount of money that these five cities have to put out in damages. Yeah, certainly. You know, this is something that we had kind of predicted in our uh, 2018 uh, end of the year report. We saw the, you know, great potential for a, a big uptick in this type of activity. You know, we've seen that play out in the first half of 2019. Very popular now are uh, local government municipalities targeted with ransomware. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we saw the city of Atlanta crippled by uh, ransomware. They even had uh, issues with uh, 911 calls for a while. Of course, very disruptive, very damaging. In like a, any ransomware attack, the attackers have encrypted the files and they want a ransom paid to release them. So in Atlanta's case, they took the approach and I applaud them for doing this and I applaud the resolve uh, of not paying the ransom, which is great. But you know, on the flip side of that, their cost of remediation and recovery time was much, much greater had they had they just paid the ransom, right? So I believe that the costs were in the, at least the tens of millions of dollars, maybe around 30, uh, but, it, you know, a huge expense, uh, whereas I believe the ransom demands were in the hundreds of thousand range. In the case of paying the ransom, do they actually get their information back or do the cyber criminals just take off? Yeah, it's a very high rate of 
I forget the percentage. I, I believe it was high 90s of uh, you actually do receive the decryption keys. Uh, you know, so their business model is based on encrypting your files. They don't really take your files typically. They just they're still sitting right there. They're just useless to you because there's you know uh, no chance of you uh, in most cases decrypting them uh, without the key. So um, their business model is based on believing that you are going to get access to your files if you pay the ransom. Otherwise, uh, you know, kind of the word's going to get out that, you know, paying the ransom is pointless and less people are going to do it. How would you advise local governments uh, across the country to start preparing for this? Because it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. Making the budgeting decision to maybe spend some money up front on hiring the right people and getting them in the right places to start remediating these type of risks is certainly the right approach. I mean, it's the long-term approach versus taking the short-term approach of, you know, maybe if we just bury our head in the sand and hope for the best, you know, maybe we can get by a little while longer without this happening to us, right? So that's certainly the correct uh, long-term approach. And then, you know, in the case of ransomware, once those people are in place, you know, I think there are budgeting concerns, but having the right backup strategy, making sure these files that are getting locked are actually backed up somewhere is just a huge night and day difference for how much leverage the attacker has over you in one of these attacks. If you're able to recover your files on your own, um, you know, it really empowers the, uh, the target here to be less vulnerable to these type of attacks. I would say, you know, don't try to do it yourself. You know, there are resources to go to to find, you know, best practices and the, those sort of things. And that's great. And you can try to do that with your existing staffing and technology. But I think, you know, probably hiring the right consultant would probably be the best first step, right? So get the consultant in there, kind of let them get a lay of the land. Where are your assets? You know, what is the more, most important data? Where is it all located? And then from there, they can help you develop a plan on hardening your defenses against uh, attacks, right? What happens in step one is going to determine what, where your step two and three end up going. That's our own Tamika Smith speaking with Troy Gill from AppRiver. Security firm Checkpoint warns that Android devices could be hit by an advanced phishing technique that exploits the over-the-air provisioning carriers use to bring new phones on board. The weekly authenticated SMS messages are readily spoofed. Checkpoint notes that the industry standard for over-the-air provisioning, Open Mobile Alliance Client Provisioning, offers limited authentication methods that can make it difficult for someone setting up their service to determine whether the settings a message suggests come from the legitimate network provider or from some imposter. For now, it's a Checkpoint proof of concept, but it offers mobile users something to think about. The U.S. attorney for the Southern District of California has filed charges against four employees of an email advertising company. Krebs on Security says that the four accused, employed by Adconian Direct, allegedly hijacked IP addresses for use in email advertising campaigns. The prosecutors maintain that the four accused conned an Internet hosting firm, Hostwinds, into routing the IP addresses on their behalf. Krebs also says that the government appears to have had Adconian's email practices under investigation since 2015, at least, and that the charges just filed may be the opening round in a wider prosecution. And finally, InfoSec magazine reports that Zao, the widely popular but at the same time vaguely repellent app that lets you put your face onto that of your favorite actor in your favorite TV show, so you can imagine yourself as being, say, 
Barney Fife, has been kicked out of WeChat. Zhao blazed and flamed out like a meteor. It was launched only Friday, blew up overnight, and now has everyone worried about privacy, deep fakes, and giving someone the right to your likeness in perpetuity. But hey, if you can imagine yourself as Gilligan or Kojak or Lovey Howell, what's the big deal about rights in perpetuity? Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, it's always great to have you back. Um, we had a story come by on Ars Technica. This is written by Dan Gooden. Uh, and this was about researchers using a Rohammer bit flips to steal uh, 2048-bit crypto keys. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, what, can you, uh, what can you do to explain what's going on? Well, let's step back a little bit and talk about Rowhammer in general. Rowhammer is an attack that's been out for a little while now. And the basic idea with that sort of attack is that you have regions of memory that are stored physically very close to each other. And this is really just a consequence of the fact that uh, memory size is always shrinking. And so parts of memory, pieces of memory, locations in memory are always getting physically closer and closer together. And we think abstractly about these different regions of memory as uh, not really interfering with each other. But in fact, if you look physically at what's going on, uh, and this is what the Rohammer attack exploits, uh, changes in one portion of memory can actually have a very subtle effect on nearby portions of memory. So hmm. basically, at, at a high level, what this allows an attacker to do is if they have control over you know, one portion of memory, say memory location A, but they don't have control over memory location B, they can nevertheless, by making uh, a bunch of changes to memory location A, effect changes in memory location B. And of course, you can see that that's going to be quite dangerous if uh, memory location B is going to be holding some cryptographic information. 
Hmm. And, and that's how they go about uh, stealing the keys then. Right. So uh, what's, what's new in this attack is that previous uh, Roheimer-based exploits uh, just violated integrity. So basically they allowed the attacker to modify the key and thereby mess things up for some cryptographic computation that was being performed. And hmm. what the researchers have now shown is that they can use that information to actually now learn the key itself. And this is uh, quite complex, actually, but the, but the idea here seems to be that these um, changes that the attacker can induce in portions of memory that they don't control uh, are really quite subtle. And so, for example, uh, I'm simplifying things a little bit, but they, the researchers show that if you have uh, the attacker making changes to some memory location B, and you have, let's say, a 1-0 versus a 1-1, the changes that the attacker will induce are going to be different. And so you can imagine that this is going to allow the attacker to effectively probe whether or not you have a 1-1 there or a 1-0. And gradually, over time, they can learn certain bits of information about the, uh, the, the, that portion of memory, uh, which may uh, contain a key. And then they can further uh, use existing algorithms to then bootstrap from the little bit of information they can learn to eventually recover the entire key. Now, on the hardware side of things, um, you, there are different types of DRAM chips, and, and some of them are ECC RAM, which is error-correcting code RAM. Uh, does that offer an advantage here? So you would think that it would, and you would think that if you had an error-correcting code being applied to the memory, then any changes that the attacker would induce in the memory would be caught by the error-correcting code and then automatically corrected in the background, uh, resulting in no net gain for the attacker. And one of the interesting things in this uh, piece of research is that the researchers showed actually how they were able to circumvent that and they were able to uh, learn information even in the presence of these error-correcting codes. And, mm. and the basic idea there was that they uh, relied on certain timing information. Uh, you could imagine, for example, that if the code is finding no error, then when it uses that piece of information, it'll do so faster than if it has to correct an error before using the information. And so using that subtle bit of a difference in timing, they're able to figure out whether an error occurred or not, and then, it, like, and then you know, keep going and exploit it and, and uh, uh, eventually extract the entire key. It's quite an involved process. And to be honest, I, I'm not sure if it represents uh, an attack that would be easier than other uh, modes of attack that, that, that uh, adversaries are trying. But nevertheless, it's really uh, very amazing at a fundamental level to just kind of get at uh, you know, the raw physical memory and exploit that for such an attack. Yeah. All right. Well, Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.